Father, we take this moment right now to be still in your presence. The everlasting, the faithful one, the one who was and is and is to come. There is none like you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Father, put us in our rightful place before you. Help us to see ourselves rightly in light of who you are in this moment right here. And we would willingly, eagerly humble ourselves under your presence and under the authority of your word to say, God, speak to me whatever you say. Your way goes. I'm not going to resist you in pride. I'm not going to let myself get distracted. God, would you remove the distractions from this house of worship, God? That we'd be able to focus on you. Those things, even now, in this worship set, you're just, just prompting us to let go of. We would cast those on you right now because you care for us. That we would listen rightly and hear rightly and be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit long after we leave this place today. Father, guard my mouth from any error and say what you want to say to your precious church today. In Jesus' mighty name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest. It is, as always, a great pleasure to be back with you this morning. Today we are continuing on in our third message in our summer series, Fuel for Our Faith, The Miracles of Elisha. The Miracles of Elisha. And remember, yes, there are miracles through Elisha, but let's remember who the real hero of the story is. It is God Almighty himself. God is always the hero of every text that we read. And last week we looked in 2 Kings chapter 3, and we looked at what it means to be walking by faith. What it means to be walking by faith. Now, let's bring up to snuff in case you weren't here the last week or two. We have to get clarity on what faith actually is. So let's get a biblical definition of that and we'll break it down from there. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. You'll see it on the screen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay, biblical definition, obviously right on. Let's break that down into a street level application for us based on that. Here it is, faith, choosing to believe. Remember, everyone say faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. It's given to us by God, but we have to choose to act out in it. All right? Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it In his power. Can't do this on our own, loved ones. Everything we're about to read, everything we're about to look at today, we can't do it on our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the source of our faith. Acting upon it in his power, no matter how I feel, no matter my perceptions of a situation. Because God is glorified and promises a good result. And we're going to continue to unpack this this week and over the next two weeks as we bring the series to a close. Let me ask you a question. Today's um, title of this morning's message is God Will Provide. And we are looking at um, an example of God's provision through faith, through the life of one widow. From 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 to 7. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible, make sure you put your hand up right now. Because our ushers are coming and we want to put one in your hand. I want you to mark it all up so that you're following along and continue to dive into God's word. If you don't have a Bible, then make sure you take that home with you to continue to study that on your own time. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. But I have a question as we turn there this morning. As we start to get our thoughts around what it means that God will provide. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here in this room right now have a pressing need for something? Now, now, hear that question properly. How many of us have a pressing need, not a greed? Okay, there's a big difference between needs and greeds. All right? How many of us have a pressing need, not a want? Yeah, I'd like a Corvette. No, no, sorry. Sorry, sorry to burst your bubble this morning, but that is not a need, okay? How many of you have a pressing need for something? It could be wisdom 
for a situation that you're facing. It could be, I have a health need that I'm struggling through right now. I have even a financial need that I'm struggling through. Maybe other resources that you need. Not want, not greedy for, but need. Big difference. One God promises to supply, the other one he doesn't. So let's not get prosperity gospel on ourselves here when we think that just because God will provide it means giving me whatever I want and walking in in whatever I want to do just if I just have enough faith. No, no, that's not what we're talking about and it's not what God promises. So question, you have that need. Think of that thing right now. And my question to that is, are you walking by faith and trusting God will provide for it? How do you know? Are you walking by faith? Are you doing what he says to walk by faith? Do we know what that looks like? Or are we trusting in other things? See, the truth is this, loved ones. There is perhaps no greater walk of faith that we are tested with each day than to believe that God will provide for our needs. That's the reality. There is perhaps no greater walk of faith that you and I are tested with each day than if God will provide for our needs. And the problem is this, church. Most of us want to see the provision of God, but not walk in faith along the path of God to see his provision. We want the provision of God, but we don't want to walk in faith along the path of God to see that provision as he intends. We want things done so quickly in our way, in our time, in our own strength, and for our own glory, instead of seeking the Lord in faith for his plans for his purposes, and for his provision. And ultimately, loved ones, we end up walking by sight and not by faith and miss out on the provision that God intended to display his glory through in that situation. See, here in this text, we see an unnamed widow. Love this. Some of the greatest champions of faith in God's word are unnamed. Isn't that beautiful? Less is more in the kingdom of heaven. An unnamed widow that is trapped in a situation where her children are about to be taken away from her and in desperation she comes to Elisha seeking the provision of God for their lives and ultimately seeks deliverance from her seemingly devastating, no win, bottomed out, nothing can help me situation. And through this, we see three critical principles, loved ones, of receiving God's provision for our lives that we must consistently, daily, probably moment by moment, come back to if we are to walk by faith and trust him to provide for our needs in his time and in his way and for his glory. Three critical principles we must come back to. Ready to get fueled up in your faith, loved ones? Tell me you're with me. Here we go. You with me? Yeah, okay, let's go. Verses one to seven, to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read it. Two Kings chapter four, starting at verse one, going to verse seven. Elisha and the widow's oil. Verse one. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing. He has nothing in in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God will provide. Big idea for today. God will provide for my need, 
but I must turn to him in faith. Point number one, I must turn to him in faith. Verse one, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, listen to the tone, listen to the tone, that's key, all right? Gotta read scripture in context here. Think about what she's feeling. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Let's get the context here. Elisha has been Israel's prophet now for about 13 years. This is taking place in 840 BC. 13 years after what I call the miracle at Moab that happened last week that we looked at. Okay, 13 years after the miracle at Moab where God supplied the water to the armies. And Elisha's been the leader of the sons of the prophets for that same time. Now, if you remember from message one, we talked about what are the sons of the prophets. This was a group of prophets that met together for study, service, and training. Okay, it's like a prophet training school that Elisha is the head of. And they traveled around with him, being trained and serving now, now, look what happened here. One of the prophets who was with Elisha, one of his wives comes up to Elisha and tells him her husband, the prophets, died. And the creditor is about to take her two kids away from her to pay off the debt that the family owed to him. And we know it's pretty substantial, the debt that they owed, because he's taking both sons. He's taking both. Now, before you say, well, wait a second, that guy's totally mean. We have to understand something, loved ones. This is where you've got to read Scripture in context. We don't just pick one or two verses and twist them to mean what we want them to mean. We have to read it in context. In the Mosaic Law, in Exodus 21, and then again in Deuteronomy 15, it said that creditors were allowed to enslave debtors and their children to work off a debt they had no financial means to pay. Better than going into prison. Now, 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 hear me on this. The Mosaic Law also said, you see the grace and mercy of God in this, that these debtors were not allowed to mistreat the people, but they could enslave them for a time. So at least they're getting cared for, but they're working off the debt that was owed. And then, according to the Mosaic Law, all of the lands and all of the slaves needed to be released on the 49th or 50th year of the Jewish calendar called the year of Jubilee. So all of the slaves would be set free at that time. But until that time, they would be working off the debt that was owed. Okay, what a mercy of the Lord, eh? What a, what a mercy of God. Now notice verse one in, in there. Do you sense the tone of aggravation in this woman's voice? Do you sense it when you read that? Your servant, my husband's dead. And you know your servant, you know, you see this? Can't you just see your finger? You know, Elisha, you know your servant feared the Lord. You know he was faithful. You know it, Elisha, he was faithful. But the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. Notice this, she makes a special note of pointing out that her husband Feared the Lord. The fear, the word Hebrew word there for fear means reverence. He reverenced God. He sought to honor him. He went against the tide of culture and was faithful to the Lord. Because don't forget, remember, northern Israel was a cesspool of apostasy and idol worship right now to Baal. So it was very out of season to be following the Lord. You were putting your life on the line. Totally out of season. Does it sound familiar today? Nothing new under the sun, loved ones. Live in the text. Put yourself in this woman's shoes. Put yourself in her shoes. Don't forget, loved one, this is 9th century BC. This is 840 BC. Your husband, if you're a woman in this culture, your husband and your children are your sole sources of provision. And your primary means of well-being I mean, it's not like this widow could just, okay, well, my sons get taken away, but I'll just cash in my social security check. It's not, she's got nothing. If they go, by all worldly standards, it's over for her. Back to the wall, pinned to the ground, no way out, how's this going to happen? Now think about this, how she got in this situation. Your husband and your family have been faithfully serving the Lord and laying down your lives for him. 
Yet, you're here hours away from losing your kids and being stripped of the people you love the most. And you're fighting the temptation to believe that God has somehow forgotten about you or isn't faithful to care for or isn't faithful to provide for you and you're tempted to run to other things to try to satisfy and provide for that need you have. It's almost like, don't we say the same thing? God, we've been following you and seeking to honor you with our lives. How could this happen? When the, when the righteous perish and yet the faithless, the faithless prosper. How could this happen? You ever wonder that, loved ones? God, I'm seeking to honor you. What do you mean? What do you mean this trial's coming up? And we do the same thing. Here she is. Here she is, loved ones. Question. You're in this woman's shoes. Live in the text. Would you become anxious in this moment right here? Be honest, loved ones. That's where God goes to work, some authenticity. Would you be anxious right here? You're about to lose your kids. You've just lost your husband. Would you be fearful right here? Would you be fighting the, the worry and would you be doubtful that God would provide for you? How about in that situation you're facing today? How about in that one? In your marriage? How about in that one? With your job, your finances, your health? Question. Where are you turning to right now? What are you putting your faith in when that need is pressing? When it's pressing on you and it's just there and you seem consumed by it and it seems like it's about to take you out and you are fighting the worry, anxiety, frustration, fear and doubt about God's promise to provide for you right there. Maybe for some of us it's this. Maybe you're running to yourself. It's up to me. It's up to me. I have to try harder. I have to work harder. I have to rush ahead and get something done. I'm working on my own strength. I'm going to trust in myself. You want something right? You've got to do it yourself. Did you hear that before? Yeah, that just about did me in. How about this? Maybe you're turning to other people, other relationships. Well, if I just get a spouse, then I'm going to have this need met. If I just get the family I want, I'm going to have this need met. If I just can rely on this person to come through for me, then I'll be okay. What happens when they don't? If I just can rely on my spouse to come through for me, what happens when they don't? Maybe other resources. If I just have a little bit more money then I'll get out of this situation. If I just get that job that I'm craving, then I'll be okay. If I just get this resource, then we'll be all set. Where are you turning right now? Where are you turning, loved ones? Where am I? This is a Would you agree this is a daily fight? This is a daily fight, loved ones. Where's our faith going into? And yet, and yet, notice this. Notice this, verse one. And yet, even in the midst of her desperation, where does she turn? She calls out to the Lord, the representative of God, Elisha himself. Turning to the prophet was the same as turning to the Lord in the Old Testament. He, was, he represented the word of God. She turns to the word of God and turns to him in faith to provide for her. Where does she turn? She turns to the Lord. And you say, why, why is this so important to notice? Here's why. You'll see this on the screen. I would encourage you to write this down. What you turn to first is the greatest indicator of what you're putting your faith in the most. What you turn to first is the greatest indicator of what you're putting your faith in the most to provide for you. Yourself, your job, your bank account, the Lord. It's very convicting for me this week. And this is why, loved ones, because of this truth, that what we turn to first is the greatest indicator of what we're putting our faith in the most. Because of this truth, this is why we must turn to God and not from God. We must turn to God and not from God. And, and not half-heartedly. Don't be like, okay, well, I'll turn to God over here, but I'm also going to turn to this. I'm also going to turn to this. I'll get my Jesus on the side just in case these other things don't come through. And just in case God doesn't come through, I'll have these other things. It doesn't work like that. That's not faith. 
It's fear. Where are you turning to? Must turn to him. And, and love this, love this, Matthew six thirty three. Hey, by the way, didn't you just love getting saturated with God's promises today throughout that worship set? Come on. Guys, we need that. We need that, loved ones, together. Matthew 6, 33. Watch this. Watch the language of Jesus right here. But seek, read it with me. Seek. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is the presence of God. Right there. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Living in holiness by the power of his spirit. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not first your own strength. Not first your bank account. Not first anybody else. Not first getting a spouse. Not first increasing your family. Not first relying on your spouse or anybody else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look what happens. Here it is. And all these things. There's a beautiful word right there. Will. You know what God says when will happens? That's a promise. All these things will be added to you. All the things. And the context of that is all the needs you have. You saw it this morning. Verse 31 and 32. All the needs you have. Don't be anxious. And by all earthly means, this woman had every single reason to be anxious. And Jesus still says it. Right in the middle. Seek first the kingdom, loved one. Who are you turning to? He said, turn to me first. Put your faith in me. Put your faith in something that won't fail. Everything else will. Everything else we turn to is going to bottom out, loved ones. Every time. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Every time. When you put your, seeking him first, when you, when you can't see how he's going to provide. Trusting God's promises more than your perceptions of a situation. Seeking him first. When, when, when the fear is overtaking you, when the anxiety starts to grip your heart, when the doubt starts to creep in and Satan starts to whisper, your God won't provide. Take him back to this and say, be gone, Satan. But how will we provide for my family? How will we do this? It's not your job to provide. It's his. Our job is to seek him. How many families are in a train wreck? Because they think, spouses think, they've got to be the ones to strive on their own strength to go and provide and meet the needs and meet every demand. And yet you get home and your home life is being destroyed. You're short with your spouse. You're short with your kids because you've got nothing left in the tank. Because you've been striving on your own strength. He says, seek me first. And that peace that passes all understanding is going to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But you've got to let me in. Show me your faith, loved one. I will show you my faithfulness. I've given you the measure of faith to take the step you need to take. You can't manufacture that on your own. I've given that to you. You show me that faith. I'll show you my faithfulness. And you will see the glory of God. It may not look like what you think it'll look like. It may not take the time you think it should take. But it's coming. God has never broken a promise in all of history. And he's not about to start. And we tend to think our situation's so unique, like, oh, I'm the first one to ever go through this. God's like, there's nothing new under the sun. I provided for that need in the past. I'll do it again. Where was I? Do we believe that this morning? Be assured, loved ones. Hey, I love this. Write this down. No, this desperate plea. Look what happens. God will not resist the desperate plea of those who are desperate for him. God will not resist the plea of those who are desperate for him. Saying, God, my flesh wants to go to the next job. My flesh wants to go to my own strength. He said, but in, I am taking a step of faith and calling out to you because it is you who I need. You will provide, not what I'm turning to. God will not resist the plea of those who are desperate for him. Are you desperate for him this morning? 
We're not desperate for him if we're clinging to these other things, trying to fill our lives with these other things. The truth is this. Hey, loved ones, I want to say this with as much tenderness and gentleness as I can. God sees you right now. He knows. He sees you right now. He sees the need that's in your heart that maybe you have not expressed to anyone else. He sees it. And he knows how to meet it better than you do. And he even knows what the need is better than you do. He sees it. You are not alone in it. And he says, if you would but turn. If you would but turn to me, loved one, that marriage can be healed. If you would but turn to me, that chaos that your life has become, trying to fit in a schedule that's unsustainable, if you would but turn, I will put order in your life. And you walk by faith and not by sight. He sees the fears, loved ones. He sees the tears. He sees the doubt. And he says, seek me first. That has not overcome you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, you have never repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, then I will say this in love, this promise isn't for you. God is not some genie. This is for his children, those who've received him in faith. Is that you this morning? Maybe some of you are here and you're just at the end of your rope and you're like, I've tried everything. Not everything if you have not turned to what you need most and who you need most, a savior who died for you and who loves you and is ready to forgive you of your sin that separates you from him right now. That's your first turn right there. Will you do that today? I don't know what you came in here with, but this is for someone in this room. He sees it and he assures us this. He sees that need right in front of you. The one that seems overwhelming. Here it is. Write this promise down. Love it. Philippians 4.19. Go. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There it is. There's the promise. Take that one to the bank this morning. Boom. That situation that you're facing right now. Oh, there it is. Yeah, but, yeah, but. It, it, it. There it is. That doesn't change. That has never changed. That will not change. The question, loved ones, is never, will God provide for that need? That's not the right question to ask. The question is, will you walk by faith in seeking him first to see his provision as he intends to give it? God will provide for my need. I must turn to him in faith. First step. And after I turn to him in faith, here's the outflow. I must obey his word by faith. After I turn to him in faith, I must obey his word by faith. Look at verses two to seven. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Verse 6. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Look at that expectation. What a change. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. See, after hearing the widow's cry, Elisha readily responds. Notice the difference that he responds to the widow than how he responded to Jehoram last week. I won't even look at you, man. You're not worshiping the same God. You're not turning to God in faith. You don't want to be loyal. And now this widow desperately crying out for the Lord, faithful Lord, he says, what shall I do for you? 
God extends his hands to those who extend theirs to him. He will not resist the plea of the desperate cry. After hearing the widow's cry, Elisha readily responds to the woman and gives her the word of the Lord and the promise of God to provide for her. If she is obedient to walk by faith. If she's obedient to walk by faith, even though what he's just told her, think about what he just told her, that God would do, must have seemed completely ridiculous to her. Completely foolish. She's like, help, I'm going to lose my kids. He goes, what do you got in the house? What? You, wait a second, Elijah. You're telling me now to go on a bottle drive to save my family? What? That's what God promised. Doesn't make sense to the world. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. This doesn't make any sense. Why are you asking me? God's in it. You're good. And as she obeys the word of God by faith and trusts that God will do what he said he would do, That's the question that it all comes down to, loved ones. Do you and I trust that God will do what he said he will do? That's the question that it comes down to every single time. In your marriages, in your situations that you're facing, in the needs that are pressing, do you and I trust that God will do what he said he will do? Our actions will always flow out of that belief, one way or the other. That's what it comes down to. She trusts that God will do what he said he would do and the Lord miraculously provides the provision and proves himself faithful again to uphold his word and provide for his people. See, we must understand this. And commentator Dale Davis said it this way. You'll see it on the screen. When God provides, whether amazingly or routinely, when God provides, either amazingly or routinely, he frequently designs not merely to supply your need. Listen, The need is not God's main goal here. He's got the need. That's a done. He already knows what it is, even before you and I do. That's not the end game for him. But to build your faith and to spark your obedience in the process. That's why God supplies the needs. To spark your faith. To increase your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he wants to give you as much as possible. But we have to choose to walk in it. He says, show me your faith with the measure I've given you and I'll show you my faithfulness, loved one. I'll show it to you. How many of us are just missing out on God's faithfulness and displaying his glory through our lives because we just are so afraid to walk in faith. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. See, when God calls us to walk by faith, The end goal is ultimately less about the promised provision and more about an increasing obedience to him in the process. God calls us to obey and we must do it his way. It's not, okay, God, I'll obey you on my terms. No, he calls us to obey and we must do it his way, by his power, for his glory. And we see here in these verses, these five verses, three principles, and not just here, but all throughout scripture that God gives us of how we are to walk by faith along the path of obedience to his word because we want to drill down very application. How do we do this? How do we press into the Lord when that need is pressing in front of us? And so we see three ways we obey God's word by faith to see his provision. Ready? Three ways we obey God's word by faith to see his provision. Here it is, here it is. Number one, we gotta use what I have. I gotta use what I have. Look at verse two. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you? See that? What have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Elijah responds to the woman by asking her what the Lord had already given to her. What has God already given you? What have you in the house? Notice this. He doesn't ask her about what she would like to have. What would you like to have to let this problem go away? Or he doesn't ask her, what do you think you need for this problem to go away? Because I guarantee if that question gets asked, she's saying, I need the money to pay the creditor. Right? That's her thinking. That's probably your and my thinking too. Right? 
Notice he doesn't ask her what she thinks she needs, but she responds and says, I have nothing in my house except a jar of oil. See, here's the problem. Here, here's a jar. Here's a, here's a picture of the vessel that she had in her house. This is ninth century vessel they would pour the oil into. This is what she has in her house. This is it. The creditor's coming. Your kids are about to be taken away. And Elisha says, what has God already given you to use? She goes, and I have nothing. See what happens there? See what that shows? All she could see was what she thought was totally inadequate. It's totally inadequate to meet the need that I need met. I got to go somewhere else. I got to do this. I got to do this. I get... He says, what do you have in your house? What has God already entrusted you with? What has he already given you? See, and this is what happens. We just fixate on what we think is inadequate. We so often will just say, when that need presses, we just look around and we're like, uh, nothing I have is going to help. Nothing I have is going to help. It's all inadequate. I've got to look out here. I've got to do this. I've got to go to this person. I've got to do this. What, is, what do you have in your house? Are you going to use what you have of what God has already entrusted to you? Let's drill down a bit. See, in the widow's eyes, what she had was totally insufficient for anyone to do anything with to deliver her from this situation. Here it is. Ready for this? We've got to remember this statement. Two words. But God. Say that with me. But God. This is what she had on a human level, completely impossible to pay the creditor. But God. See, the truth is this. When it comes to walking by faith, God is not nearly as interested in what we think we need. He knows what we need, okay? Okay? He knows what we need. But he's very interested in us being faithful with what he's already entrusted to us. He's very interested in that. Okay? And so often we say, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, I can't be, yeah, but, I can't be faithful, yeah, but but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but I need a spouse to be meeting this need, yeah, but I need more finances, yeah, but I need a slower schedule, yeah, but I need to rely on someone else, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, hey, change the thinking, but God. No more excuses of yeah, but, yeah, but I don't have that, yeah, I've got the jar of oil, yeah, but I don't have this. Yeah, I have this, but I don't have this. All I see is inadequacy, inadequacy, and that's exactly where the devil wants to keep you. That's exactly where he wants to keep you. Looking over there. The, isn't it true? The grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. You know why it looks greener? Because you don't see all the poop in the yard. If I just had this, if I could just do this. No, no, no. What has God already trusted to you? What's in your house? Hey, loved ones, will we be faithful with the finances we already have? Here you go. So many of us pray, financial breakthrough, financial breakthrough. Loved one, are you being faithful? Am I being faithful with the finances we already have been given? Are we stewarding it in a budget and living within our means? That's walking by faith. Just the ordinary. We tend to think that walking by faith is just some euphoric thing on a cloud. Listen, it's in the ordinary day to day. I'm going to trust by faith that God's given me what I need for today. And if not, then he's going to provide another way. I got to be faithful with what I've already been entrusted with. I got to steward it for his glory. Are we being faithful in our singleness without the spouse? Because if Jesus isn't, hey singles, hear this, hear this loved ones. If Jesus isn't enough for you when you're single, he will not be enough for you when you're married. Will we be faithful in our marriages to stop looking at pornography? Will we be faithful in our marriages to show a kind word and to honor our spouse above ourselves? Will we be faithful as a father, as a mother, to not provoke our children to anger, but train them in training and instruction of the Lord to open up God's word with them every day, step by step? Will we be faithful? Walking by faith, that's what it is, loved ones. 
in the routine stuff that he's already given to us? Will we be faithful with the resources we have? Will we be faithful with the health that he's already given to us to look after and steward our bodies for the glory of God? Will we be faithful with the time that we have? Here you go. Will we be faithful in our agenda? When you look at your agenda over the week, how much of it shows that you want to seek first the kingdom of God? Because here's the thing. Every time you make the decision saying, God, I've got XYZ of stuff lined up today, but I'm choosing in faith that the greatest need of my heart today is not to fill the schedule. It's not to fill it with appointments. It's not to get more money. My greatest need is to draw near to you. It takes faith. You're going to have to say no to some appointments, some clients. Will, will God provide? Will God provide? Yes. He may change how you live your lifestyle. He may be calling you to give up some stuff and live within your means, but he's going to provide, and I guarantee you, you will not regret that. I guarantee you, when your kids grow up, they will give testimony that they saw mom and dad clinging to God's word every day, and they will want to take that in their homes. And they say, hey, hey, we saw mom and dad do this. This must be important. It doesn't mean your kids are going to be saved. There's not a promise that just because you're a Christian, your kids are going to be saved. But it does mean that you're passing along a godly legacy that God will use in their lives for his glory. Are we being faithful with that, with our time? Are we making the best use of it with the opportunities instead of waiting around for what we think we want? See, loved ones, this hit me like just a ton of bricks this week. When it comes to obeying God's word and faith, we have to stop waiting for what we want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting around for what we want. If I just had this, if I just did this, if I just... Start working with what God's already given you. I need that so much in my own soul. God does not entrust us with more if we're not faithful with what we already have. So question, question, church. What has God already given you that you need to be faithful with? What's in your house? What's he already entrusted you? Just look at some of those examples. And I said, John Piper says, you say, but it's not much. It's not much. I don't, I don't, I don't have very much. Look, what, look at this quote. I love this. What counts is not the amount you have, but if it is utterly devoted to the purposes of God. Yes. This woman had one little vessel of oil, but it was put into God's hands. And we're about to look at what he did with it. What matters is not how much you and I have, but if it is utterly devoted to the purposes of God. There's the first thing. Three ways we obey God's word by faith and see his provision. Here it is, here it is. Use what we have. Number two, use it with humility. Use it with humility. Look at verses three and four. It says this. Then Elisha said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Verse 5, so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. Now, 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 with humility. See, notice what she does. Elisha instructs the widow to humble herself. How humbling do you think it was to need to go knock on your neighbor's doors and ask for help? He, he asks her, instructs her to humble him, herself and go to all of her neighbor's Houses and asks them if she can borrow as many empty vessels as possible. He tells her she needs to humble herself and ask for help. Don't try to package yourself like everything's going okay. Don't try to tough it out on your own. It's time to reach out for some help. And then look at verse 4. Then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Elisha takes it one step further, right here. He tells a woman that after her and her sons have collected the vessels, they're to go back into their home. Now, interesting, right here, ready? Shut the door. Huh. Shut the door as they pour the oil into the vessels. Now, wait, why? I, I read that this week and I was like, why? Why? Wouldn't you want everyone to see God's provision? Doesn't that give them glory? 
Why, why, would he, why would Elisha say, no, 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 shut the door, that no one sees how God's providing? Wait a second. What? Look at Tony Merida, commentator Tony Merida, put it this way, you see it on the screen. While a lot of Christian life is public, we need to remember that not everything we do for the king, and I would add everything he does for us, not everything he does for us needs to be on social media. You may couch, that is, sort your words with, to God be the glory. But much done in the name of sharing your testimony is self-exaltation. See what Elisha's doing here? He's giving her a heart check. Why? Because God always goes back to the heart. Don't put this one on social media. Shut the door. That's for you. Can you do that? Your pride sure doesn't want you to. Look how God's providing for me. Look what he's doing. To God be the glory. Really? Or is that to you be the glory? Hey, hey. Loved ones. Matthew 6, 1 says this. Jesus says it. Stunning passage. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Question, are you practicing your righteousness to be seen? Are you telling others of God's provision in your life for your glory or his? Question, are you willing to shut the door and to serve God and to receive his provisions in secret when you don't get credit? Are you willing to shut the door when you don't get credit for your faithfulness? Are you willing to shut the door and humble yourself in your service to God and your, what you receive from God when people aren't going to be impressed and you're not going to get 50 likes on Facebook? When you don't get your love from people. Now, qualify. Are there times we need to share what God does? Yeah, he says make known his deeds among the nations. You bet. But here's the litmus that we need to be careful with. Our heart is so easily deceived, loved ones. Yes? You have to ask yourself this question. Ready? Before you share that, before you want people to see that, why am I sharing about what I'm about to share? Why am I sharing what I'm about to share? Whose glory is this really for? See, one of the first things, it hit me this morning, one of the worst things I can think of is to stand in opposition to God through one of the very provisions that he's given you to bless you with. It will not become a tool of opposition. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a sobering word. And the truth is this. Here, right you see from the text, the oil will always flow to the lowest place. Oil press, where does it go? Always to the lowest place. Less is more in the kingdom of heaven. He must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. And right now, Elisha's testing her heart and saying, will you decrease? So he can increase in your life. All right, three ways we obey God's word by faith to see his provision. Number one, use what you have. Number two, use it with humility. And number three, use it with urgency. Look at five to seven. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. This is the expectation there, right? Bring me another vessel. Picture that room. And he said to her, there isn't another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. See, notice this. Immediately after hearing God's word, notice that? Immediately. What did she do? She went from him. She went from him. The woman acts on it and obeys what was said to her. She took God's word, and she acted on it in faith. Immediately. There was an urgency in her life. She acted on it in faith. She didn't reject it and say, that is crazy. I don't see how that's going to happen, so I'm not going to follow it. She didn't reject it. She didn't wait around saying, should I follow God's word? Should I obey? Should I do this? Yeah, but should 
She took God's word. She acted on it in faith because it was her authority. And she didn't look away, look around for an easier way to do things. Listen, I'll do that if it's, can't you think of something that's a little more comfortable for me? That I really don't have to go knocking on my neighbor's houses. That maybe I just don't have to humble myself as much. She's not making excuses for why she can't follow God and do what he asked her to do. Maybe some of us are doing that here in baptism. Yeah, but I, I just don't get enough. The but, yeah, but I haven't been a Christian long enough. Yep, yeah, yeah. But God. Loved one. But God. She's not waiting for, well, I'll do it when it's the right time if I should start following the Lord, when I should start obeying. Listen, loved ones, she's not looking for a better option. We shouldn't either. She heard the word of God, humbled herself under it, and acted upon it with urgency. Urgency. Regardless if it was what she thought it would look like or not, it was God's way, not her way. Question, is this the case for you and me? It's a daily fight. Think about this. Think about it. Think about what she would have missed. Think about what she would have missed out on if she had been unwilling to humble herself under the word of God and act upon it urgently in faith. Look, here, let's get a visual. I'm a visual learner. Let's check it out. She started with this. She started with one pot. And she finished with this. Ta-da! Think what she would have missed if she said, yeah, but... Make excuses. Wait for something that's more comfortable. Look what she would have missed, the blessing of God that was given to her. That oil continued to flow until that provision was a go. And it will always happen that way in God's kingdom when that need is met as we cry out to him. Loved ones, look at the picture and ask yourself the question, is it God's way or your way? Is it God's way or your way? What step of faith do you know God has asked you to take through his word in seeing him meet the need that you are delaying your obedience to him in it? Because here's the truth, loved ones. I was hit with this so squarely this week. Delayed obedience is just disobedience. That's all it is. Man, I got rocked by that this week. So much time in repentance before the Lord. Just not living with urgency of what he says. Delaying our obedience to him in it instead of humbling ourselves under him in it and acting upon it in his power. For example, here, let's finish with some examples today. That health need that you have. You say, I just need a health need. Listen, listen. Are we just acting on in faith that 1 Corinthians 6 says glorify God with your body and you need to make a health change? What you're eating, how much you're sleeping. Maybe for some of us, we actually need to get to the doctor and start taking something for that that we've been instructed to, but we're resisting in our pride. Are we going to take that, that step of faith that God will use and bless to meet the need? Maybe we need to change our lifestyle. Here, maybe it's a financial need, and it, it comes down to faithful stewardship of your budget. Maybe you've got to curve your spending. Here's another one. Maybe, maybe we just need to step into a job opportunity instead of waiting around for one to just come and drop on our laps. Seek the Lord, get counsel, but if he's opened the door, it's like, come on. Can we humble ourselves to work at that place that even if it's not our first choice? Maybe for this, marriage or family need. You know, you want unity in your marriage. Like, if we just had unity, take a step of faith. And that means, hum parents, maybe it means humbling ourselves before our spouse or before our children and asking for forgiveness. Maybe it starts right there. Ephesians 5, remembering what God's word said in Ephesians 5 and then in Ephesians 6 about how we're to love our spouses, lay our lives down for them. Wives, how they're to submit to their husbands. Husbands, how they're supposed to love their wives and not provoke our children to anger. Maybe the next step to unity in the marriage. Well, why isn't God doing anything? Take a step. With the measure of faith that God has given. Or here's one for our marriage and unity is something God's pressing me on right now you got to slow down. The pace you're going is not sustainable. You need to take a step of faith and say no to those things that you think are going to provide something that you need and start having faith in me that I'm going to make up the difference for what you need when you keep me first in your schedule. 
man, I got rocked with that this week. Maybe it's this, healing in our heart. Healing of the heart. And we need to obey 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. It just says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares. Maybe we need to do that today. Maybe we need to start casting our wounds, our anger, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our brokenness onto the Lord that we're hanging on to. We've just been hanging on it way too long. And he says, cast that on me. Will we obey? Will we obey? It's right there. It's time to take a step of faith and surrender that to me, the Lord says. See, because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. Blessing is always on the other side of obedience. Blessing is always on the other side of obedience. And so it's not some prosperity gospel formula. It's just the process of walking by faith and not by sight and saying this, facing that situation, that finance, that marital situation with your kids, with the scheduling, with all of these things and saying, what is God promising to bless in this situation right here? Go back to what God promises to bless. Humility, dependency, repentance, order. God will provide for my need. I must turn to him in faith and I must obey his word by faith. It's difficult, but it's that simple. And just as God provided the means for this woman's debt to be paid, notice he said, go pay all your debts. Love that, love that. Just as he provided for this woman's debt to be paid and to have her freedom secured, guess what? Guess what? God has provided the means for our greatest need to be met our need for a savior, and our greatest debt to be paid, the debt of sin that separates us from a holy God. By sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world and to pay our ultimate debt of sin against a holy God by dying on the cross for us and paying that penalty of sin that we deserved. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. We can't make it to God on our own. And now by repenting of our sin and confessing him as our Lord and Savior, we are saved, made new, and freed from the power of sin and death for all time and are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the picture of oil there? Guess what? The picture of oil in the Old Testament is the picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Notice this? He just filled empty vessel after empty vessel after empty vessel until the need was met and the power of the Holy Spirit today does the same thing in the life of every believer. He gives you everything that you need to do exactly what God is calling you to do. He meets the need. He gives us the strength. He gives us the zeal. He gives us the courage. He gives us the faith and he just keeps filling. But will we come to him as an empty vessel and say, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Help me to follow you in faithfulness. He's going to fill it. Will we bring the empty vessel? Fill it today, not with ourselves. Fill it with Him to walk by faith and to show His power and glory in and through our lives. So, loved ones, God has provided. He will continue to provide, and He's faithful. How will you respond to Him today? Let's pray. Father, I confess that, Lord, I need you so much. Lord, I pray as a church we would confess that we need you so much. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit every day, if we just come, love how you just say, come as an empty vessel and I will fill you. Come to me, all you are weary, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Come as an empty vessel. Come at the end of yourself and I will fill you. I will not resist the desperate plea. Father, I pray right now there'd be so much hope in this room. Father, there'd be so much faith stirring up right now in this room that whatever we face, whatever's going on in the various situations and families represented here, whatever needs are there, God, they say, I'm gonna call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. My God is greater. My God is stronger. And and I need you to give me faith, Jesus. The faith that you came and died on the cross for me to give. 
to follow hard after you, to obey your word. That area, that step that you're calling me to take right now, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't, I don't want to do it. What's it going to mean? What's it going to mean? And yet, Lord, I pray we'd say, I will follow. I will follow. And there will be so much peace flooding this room right now. And for those here who have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, I say, I'm calling on the name of the Lord because those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's their first step. That they would turn to you in faith and repentance to see the salvation of the Lord. God, let us be a church that calls on your name. In Jesus' name, amen.